Good morning. Glad you're here. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Holy Father, we thank You for the blessed occasion of the gathering of Your people. Father, our desire this day is that Your Son, Jesus, might be greatly honored here and Father, all around this globe. Father, we pray that many knees might bow to Your Son. Oh, Father, we... We desire Your glory. We desire for Your name to be hallowed in this earth, in this land. Bless Your people. Feed Your sheep. Please give us what we need, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, saints, today I want to remind you of a fearful yet encouraging attribute of our great God. Would you please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and you'll recall that this is the chapter where we have the record of humanity's fall from grace. If you look down to verse 6, the Bible says of our mother Eve, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of Yahweh walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. In the very next chapter, chapter 4, we have the record of the first murder and God's marking of Cain. And in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So so listen, we see very clearly early, early in the history of humanity that humans hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. Humans go out from the presence of the Lord. But listen, though they hide and though they go out, they are not removed from the presence of the Lord. In the first chapter of the ancient book, Job, I read, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh, and Satan came also among them. And Yahweh said unto Satan, whence comest thou? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. And Yahweh said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, 
that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And Yahweh said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only put, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. The Satan goes out and tempts Job, and Job perseveres. And in Job chapter 2, Satan comes back and says, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And Yahweh said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Job 2, verses 4 through 7. Angelic beings, sons of God, even Satan, go forth from the presence of the Lord. But listen, though humans hide or go out, though angels or devils go out, go forth, hide themselves, they are not removed from the presence of Yahweh. For the teaching of Holy Scripture is that He is everywhere. There's a word that we use to describe this attribute of God. A word that does not occur in Holy Scripture, but a good word. And the word is omnipresent. That's a compound word that comes to us from Medieval Latin, and you've, you've heard that Latin prefix often, and it means all, omni. So omnipresent means all present, ever present, ubiquitous, present everywhere, omnipresent. Now, though neither the term Omnipresent nor omnipresence appears in Holy Scripture. The Bible clearly teaches this attribute of God. You know that the Psalms were regarded by Jesus and the Holy Apostles as authoritative, and they quote from them often. King David, according to the Apostle Peter, was not only a king, but a prophet. So hear these words from the Psalter. Yahweh is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto Yahweh our God who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He humbleth himself. 
to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. Psalm 113, 4 through 6. And who can forget that Davidic masterpiece where the king sings, Thou hast beset me before and behind and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Hades, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Psalm 139, verses 5 through 10. You know that that phrase, the wings of the morning, is an archaic term referencing the speed of light. The wings of the morning. If I could go that fast, I could not escape the presence of the Lord. David's son Solomon taught it simply, saying, The eyes of Yahweh are in every place. Beholding the evil and the good. Proverbs 15.3 In that teaching, Solomon uses the poetic device called anthropomorphism in which human characteristics are attributed to God. You see, we know that God doesn't have eyes like ours. For as God himself, Jesus, taught us God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But listen, the sight of God, the seeing of God, the presence of God is ubiquitous. He is inescapable. He is everywhere. In his prayer at the dedication of the temple, Solomon said, Will God indeed dwell upon the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have builded. 1 Kings 8, 27. The prophet Isaiah records the word of the Lord and he writes, Thus saith the high and lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isaiah 57, 15. Jeremiah records a rhetorical question A question from the Lord. And he asks, Am I a God at hand? Saith Yahweh, and not a God far off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth? Saith Yahweh. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. And the answer is, He does fill heaven and earth. By the time of the New Covenant Scriptures, divine omnipresence 
has been the long accepted assumption in orthodoxy. But the apostolic writer to the Hebrews confirms it, writing, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, laid bare, naked before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Hebrews 4.13, New International Version. So listen, to review, we've been speaking of the doctrine of the omnipresence of the Almighty, the ever-presence of the divine being. And we've asserted that it is the clear teaching of Holy Scripture that men and angels are always, ever, inescapably in the presence of the Lord. Now, there is a complementary, a sister doctrine to the omnipresence of God, and that doctrine is referred to as the immanence of God. I-M-M-A-N-E-N-C-E. Rather, than I-M-M-I-N-E-N-C-E. Now, those two words are homophones, words that sound alike but have different meanings. Eminence, with an I, refers to something near in time. Labor Day is imminent. It's coming right up. It's imminent. Eminence, with an A, refers philosophically or theologically, to something that is within something else, something that is present to something, as opposed to something that transcends the other. When speaking of God, his eminence with an A can refer to his spatial nearness, specifically, listen, specifically his intimacy, his nearness his immediate accessibility to his people. The eminent theologian, John Frame, eminent with an E, yes, there's a third homophone. Eminent with an E means high in rank or high in esteem. The eminent theologian, John Frame, speaking of the divine transcendence And eminence, writes, divine transcendence and eminence, with an A, are the related Christian doctrines that while God is exalted in his royal dignity and exercises both control and authority in the creation, transcendence, he is, by virtue of his control and authority, very present in his creation especially his people, in a personal and intimate way. Eminence, with an A. Transcendent and yet imminent, very near. In the doctrine of the omnipresence of God, I find a theological grounding that assures me, as David was assured, that God is present. He cannot be escaped Though one goes out or departs or hides, they're not removed from the divine presence. 
He is ubiquitously pervasive. He is inescapable. He is here. And in the doctrine of the eminence, with an A, of God, I find a more personal assurance. He is nigh. He is proximate. He is near. He is here. When the great apostle Paul was at Athens, his righteous soul was vexed as he saw the pagans' idols and images everywhere. And in Acts chapter 17, Dr. Luke records a missionary encounter that Paul had with the Athenians. And the Bible says, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom you therefore ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. Paul is a genius. Said, I, I found an altar that said, this one, we got all these, and here's the one, in case we missed one, the unknown God. Well, that altar is for the God I want to tell you about, the unknown one. God that made the world and everything in it, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with men's hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing that he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation." that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, we also are his offspring." Now understand, beloved, (laughs) these were pagans, Greek idolaters. And St. Paul, the holy apostle, prophet of God, friend of Jesus, assures them that the God who created everything, including humanity, is very near, not far. In fact, in some sense, and Paul was no pantheist, but in some sense... We're in him, living, moving, metaphysically existing. He's here. Listen, he's here. He's here right here. He's here. Now, let me ask you something, beloved. Do you believe that God is here? That he's near, nigh, proximate, present. Please turn back to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. The context is Isaac seeking a wife for his son Jacob. Actually look back to the last verse of chapter 27. 
Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of these daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these, which are the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? Oh, my goodness. Baby. Twice. I might as well be dead if he marries one of these gals. Genesis 28. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padanaram to Laban, son of Bethuel the Syrian, the son of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Cayman, and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padanaram. Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and he lay down in that place to sleep and he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, Yahweh stood above it and said, I am Yahweh, God of Abraham thy father, the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in thee... And in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again to this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, Surely. Surely Yahweh is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid. And he said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And he rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillow and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat 
and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall Yahweh be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Look, look back there to verse 16. <clears throat> After seeing the stairway to heaven and the angelic host traversing the divide between the space of man and the space of God, Jacob, Israel, awakes and exclaims, Surely Yahweh is in this place. And I knew it not. Well, beloved, listen, I believe that this is often the case with you and often the case with me. I believe that often, too often, Yahweh is in the place. Jesus is in the place. And we know it not. One of my heroes, Clive Staples, Staples Lewis, C.S. Lewis, wrote, quote, We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember, to attend. In fact, to come awake. Still more, to remain awake. Listen, the, the, the nearness of God to his old covenant people, it's unmistakably evident. Jacob awoke from his vis, vision and Proclaims, he's here. He's here. The nearest to God uh, of God to Joseph was evident as he's protected, preserved, and exalted even in dark Egypt. The nearest of God was evident in the Exodus when Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and Yahweh caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Exodus 14, 21 and 22. The nearness of God to his people was evident in the work of Elijah and Elisha and Saul and David and Solomon and all the prophets. Even in exile and captivity, his presence was there strengthening, comforting, protecting, preserving his remnant. Even in a burning, fiery furnace, even in a den of lions. And what? of that mind-boggling nearness at Bethlehem? What of that fiat 
of incarnation when God Almighty became flesh and drew near to save His people in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who according to the Isaiah prophecy is called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Where? With us. Isaiah 7, 14. Brothers and sisters, saints, listen, the teaching of Holy Scripture is unambiguous. The teaching of Holy Scripture is crystal clear that God is near, with, by, in, upon His people. He is present with His people. So listen, listen. How is it? How is it that that can be Bible truth and yet we, like Jacob, like Israel, are so often unaware of it? How can that be? You just agreed that the Bible teaches that. I've seen a lot of you nodding. How can we believe that and be so unaware of it, like Jacob? Well, as I reminded you last week, we are time and space-bound creatures. And listen, we get so enthralled, so preoccupied with what is immediately before us, that we forget the, the very fact of our existence, our consciousness, our metaphysical reality is a miracle. If, if you stop and ponder it a little bit, you're here and you can see and smell and taste and think. And then there's another unit right next to you that does the same thing and you can actually speak and communicate. It, If you think about that a little bit, it blows your mind. And you have to say, how did I get here? I like my cat, but she's not anywhere near a human. You didn't come from that, friend. Listen, listen. If someone without a self-driving car takes his eyes off the road, and proceeds to contemplate transcendent realities, you'll probably end up in the ditch. Or in an accident. Or dead. So, for me to tell you to take your eyes off the persistent demands of daily living in this fallen world, that's not wisdom. That would be foolish. So do you understand how it happens, friend? It's the tyranny of the urgent. It's the necessity of living in a world that presses in upon us every day. So I'm not going to tell you to to take your eyes off the road and to contemplate transcendent realities all the time. But what I will tell you, listen, passionately, what I will tell you is that you, like me, need to be continually reminded that we are always in the immediate presence of our Savior, our God. He is not far. 
He is very near. Yea, in us, with us, upon us. When jealous Sariah banished Hagar to the wilderness, the Bible says the angel of Yahweh found her, that is Hagar, by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said to her, Hagar, Sariah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sariah. And the angel of Yahweh said to her, Return to thy mistress, and submit herself unto thy hands. And the angel of Yahweh said to her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of Yahweh said to her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because Jehovah hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. And she called the name of Yahweh that spoke unto her, Thou God seest me. And she said, Here I also have looked after him that seeth me. Wherefore the well was called Birlaharai, that is, between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. This is Genesis 16, verses 7 through 16. Well, did you understand what happened there? Hagar devised a new name for the Almighty. Hagar devised a new name for Yahweh, the God of Abraham. She called him, Thou God seest me. The NIV translates verse 13 this way. She gave this name to Yahweh who spoke to her. Quote, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have seen the one who sees me. Now, beloved, listen. <laughs> Let's learn from Hagar. Let's learn from David. Our God sees he sees us, and his eyes are never closed, and his vision never dims. If we should say, surely the darkness shall cover us, even the night shall be light about us. Yea, the darkness hideth not from him, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to our Lord Moses, the mediator of the Old Covenant, was a great man. One of the greatest men ever to walk this earth. And there's an event in the life of Moses that might be instructive for us. In a virtue called attentiveness or watchfulness. And you know that our Savior repeatedly exhorted us to be watchful. But consider Moses. Turn, if you will, to the book Exodus. Chapter 3. 
The Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not hither, put off your shoes from your feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Now listen, Moses was attentive. As he went about his shepherd work, he had his eyes open. And when he noticed something unusual, he looked into it. He saw a bush on fire, but it wasn't burning up. It wasn't being consumed. Listen, that was not natural. That was supernatural. And instead of passing on by, he stopped to consider. And the result was a theophany, a God shine, a breakthrough from heaven to earth, a revelation from God to man. A fire from God's space seen by a man in man's space. And in that holy moment, Moses took off his shoes and hid his face and he heard the God of his father speak to him. And listen, 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 friend. Moses wasn't at church. Moses wasn't at a Bible study. He was in the clinic. He was in the pasture. He was at the office. He was on the tractor. He was at work. He was out there doing his daily, regular work. But he had his eyes open. He was watchful. Beloved, listen, I hope that God speaks to you at church. It's highly likely that he will. But saints, listen, saints, we are much too ready to divide our lives into the secular and the spiritual and to forget that we are ever and always in the presence of our God. Always, ever. And he can speak to you at work, just as easily as he can speak to you at church. He is ever always near. When Moses saw something strange, he didn't ignore it. He didn't just assume, man, my eyes must be playing tricks on me. I've been out here in this hot sun 
too long. He didn't assume that. He checked it out. He acted. He moved. He investigated. And listen, the way that the narrative is recorded, it seems that his watchfulness was pleasing to the Lord. Quote, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Verse 4, that's the New International Version. Saints, listen, (laughs) I know that you believe in the omnipresence of the Almighty. And I hope that you are aware of His divine eminence. Let's be reminded, aware, conscious of His ever-presence with us. Some of y'all like for me to be more practical. So I want to share a few practical suggestions that might be helpful for you as they are for me, as we seek to be watchful and aware of God's presence. Listen, when you go to work, when you go to work, remind yourself of this. Ultimately, you serve the Lord Christ. Colossians 3.24 There's work to do. But you serve the Lord Christ. When you meet someone, when you see someone, when you think of someone, pray for them. Josh Simpson, this blows my mind, brother. (laughs) You popped into my mind just the other day, and I prayed for you. Glad to see you. If you wake up in the middle of the night and someone is on your mind, pray for them. Beloved, listen, C.S. Lewis was right. We may ignore, but we may nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with Him. He walks everywhere incognito. He's near. When you care for your body, whether feeding it or washing it or grooming it or exercising it, remember this. Truly, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The fact of your existence may seem natural, but listen, nature is natural because God made it so. And thank God for food and for drink, and for air, and for water, and for everything that's good. And ask God to fix your body when it hurts, and to sustain it, and to maintain it, and to heal it, and to bless it, and to use it for His glory. And you don't abuse it. You use it for His glory. And listen, when you walk or drive under the clouds and the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars, make it a habit to praise God and to note and to understand that the heavens are declaring His glory every day. And every night, 
the entire created order is crying out, glory, 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 bow to the king who made all of this. And when worries and concerns and cares creep into your consciousness, turn your worry into prayer. And honor the God who made you and who loves you and who is very near to you. Listen, when you drive, pray for safe passage. Every day that I drive to work, I whisper a silent prayer for safety and protection. I do. I've been in accidents before. And I'm well aware that it is only my God who can guarantee my arrival in safety. And listen, when you hear the news, and it's often bad news, pray about it. Pray for missing children in Hawaii and grieving parents. Pray for the Texas Baptist men. Pray for sinners and drug abusers and lost souls and pray for lying politicians and breaking marriages and abused children. Pray for peace and for the salvation of our neighbors, for the hallowing of God's name on this planet, for the suppression of evil and the expansion of virtue in our land. Pray. When you take a walk, listen, when you take a walk and you walk past your neighbor's house, bless them. You're priests and priestesses of the Most High God. And listen, wouldn't it be a good neighborly thing? And you're supposed to be a good neighbor to invoke the blessings of the Almighty upon your neighbor? By praying for them and asking for God to help them and bless them. Now, I'll stop. You can come up with your own ways to practice the presence of God. Ways to keep in remembrance His ever-presence, His nearness to us all. He is not far from any one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. My God, my portion and my love, my everlasting all, I've none but thee in heaven above or on this earthly ball. What empty things are all the skies and this inferior clod? There's nothing here deserves my joys. There's nothing like my God. In vain the bright, the burning sun scatters his feeble light. Tis thy sweet beams create my noon. If thou withdraw, tis night. And whilst upon my restless bed among the shades I roll, if my Redeemer shows his head, tis morning with my soul. To thee we owe our wealth and friends and health and safe abode. Thanks to thy name for meaner things, but they are not my God. How vain a toy is glittering wealth, if once compared to thee. Or what's my safety 
or my health or all my friends to me. Were I possessor of the earth and call the stars my own, without thy graces and thyself I were a wretch undone. Let others stretch their arms like seas and grasp in all the shore. Grant me the visits of thy face, and I desire no more. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. O Creator and Redeemer, God, author of all existence, source of all blessedness, I adore Thee for making me capable of knowing Thee, for giving me reason and conscience, for leading me to desire Thee. I praise Thee for the revelation of Thyself in the Gospel, for Thy heart as a dwelling place of pity, for Thy thoughts of peace toward me, for Thy patience and Thy graciousness, for the vastness of Thy mercy. Thou hast moved my conscience to know how the guilty can be pardoned, the unholy sanctified, the poor enriched. May I be always amongst those who know, not only know, but hear Thee, who walk and rejoice with Thee, who take Thee at Thy word and find life there. O keep me always longing for a present salvation in Holy Spirit comforts and rejoicing, for spiritual graces and blessings, for help to value my duties as well as my privileges. May I cherish simplicity and sincerity of character. Help me to be in reality before Thee as in appearance I am before men. To be religious before I profess religion. To leave the world before I enter the church. To set my affection on things above. To shun folly and vanity. To be a dispenser as well as a partaker of grace. To be prepared to bear evil as well as to do good. O God, make me worthy of thy calling that the name of Jesus may be glorified in me. In Jesus' name, amen.